Howdy back. Welcome back to the Band of Otters podcast. Thanks for joining us again today, you beautiful people. Today we have uh, Grant Estill, and Grant is a uh, fitness competitor. He is a bodybuilding physique competitor, um, and he can tell us maybe a little more specifically exactly what he does, what areas he competes in, um, and just a little more detail about him and his coaching uh, endeavors as well. So Grant and I knew each other back a long time ago now when we used to work at Gold's Gym, whenever I guess we first started getting a more serious into the lifting world. And so thanks for taking some time on today's Sunday to, to join us, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, man. Um, I think we met whenever we were actually setting up, you know, Gold's Gym PowerPoint and you had a just completely outrageous, overly aggressive mohawk and beard combo going. And uh, you scared the hell out of me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, a hell yeah. I forgot yeah. that that was the thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm a uh, men's physique competitor. Um, I've competed since 2016. Um, I think we started work together around like that 2017 year. But um, competed since then, competed at the national level, um, kind of fought, fought for the pro card last year, and then taking a little bit of a break just because my girlfriend's doing law school. So I dove really deep into coaching, and so that's pretty much where my primary focus is right now. How many clients do you currently have? Right now I'm sitting at – I have three that are actually like in competition prep. Um, the rest of my, I would say like 12 are just kind of like either lifestyle or going through a off season right now. Um, and then I probably have a handful of like five or six others that are just strictly posing, um, that I work on and off with. Damn. You have a lot of clients, dude. I have a lot of clients. It's busy. It's busy. <laughs> How did you start finding on, I mean, I assume all of them are online. Yep. Yep. There's a couple, How did you... yeah, there's, there's a couple here in town in Houston that I've met just because, um, so we moved out here for, you know, Taylor's law school and I started working as a fitness manager at Crunch Fitness and um, a couple of my employees needed help with posing. And so like I work with them in person um, and then everybody else is just strictly online. And that comes from, you know, just my background, just competing. Uh, people ask me questions and eventually we develop a relationship and turning into a coaching relationship. Um, or I've been I've been blessed to be able to work with a couple like fitness influencers. So they have a pretty big following. And my most recent one, Mitri, um, he helped me out a lot because we took him to the national level. And so there were a lot of eyes on him and people just started hitting me up because he started looking better and better, better. And I was like, yeah, pretty good at this. <laughs> we got some practice and it, you come with a lot of experience, right? I mean, you did this for quite some time and then finally started taking to clients. What made you initially decide that this was going to be the sport of all sports to choose from? Why this one? Yeah. So I started in baseball. Like that was, that was my thing all the way through my whole life. Um, being a smaller guy, it was a lot more difficult. Uh, not a lot more difficult, but it was just difficult, right? Um, going through, getting ready for that, like college, like going to play college ball. Um, it was all in 100%. And then out of nowhere, you know, I had a couple of offers and then I tore my meniscus. And my whole thing was I was fast. And so nobody wanted to put their money on a fast guy with a bum knee. So all those you know, got pulled. So going into college, I was like, I have no idea what the hell I'm going to do with all this time on my hands. Cause I always had, you know, extra time I was putting into baseball. So I actually tried powerlifting first. That was my first thing. And Very I'm cool. Piss- I did not know that. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm going to piss you and a lot of your, 
eat a lot of your followers off by saying I did not enjoy it one bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's not for everybody. It's all right. I mean, you, you yeah. can be wrong too, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it was just like, I enjoyed training. Um, but it was like training heavy and then having to take five minutes in between. And it was very structured, almost like it, it was so meticulous. Like, um, just didn't really fit my vibe very much. So I decided to pull out of that. I was actually at UTSA. So we, it was, um, who's the coach over there? It was, uh, man, he's a really big name and like tech strength system and stuff like that. Zunker. Yeah. Zunker. Yeah. And so I worked with him for a little bit. Um, great guy. But then, uh, you know, I started leaning over towards that bodybuilding style of training. I had no intentions of competing, but as you know, we got into it and my body started developing, started to see a little bit of shape come through and then moved over to college station, um, where there's a big fitness community, big bodybuilding community. And so I just had a lot of people tell me like, dude, like you, you need to get on stage. So just went out on a whim and absolutely loved it. You know, I'm somebody who struggled with, like that, like stage fright being like in the spotlight, didn't all like it at all, but just for whatever reason in that setting, I just love it, man. I love the presentation. I love the training. So that's just kind of how I got into it. You seem to be pretty damn good at it. I mean, just looking at the the pictures on your on your Instagram, the, the yeah. I think your second one where you we have a vacuum. Your <laughs> vacuum is insane, man. Like, it, obviously, you found a, a passion, but I mean, don't you think that my perception is that bodybuilding is also fairly meticulous, and it takes like just like powerlifting, where it's like your diet, your sleep, all these things. It's also fairly meticulous, no? Yes, a hundred percent. It's just in a different way. So like, whereas powerlifting, it's like your program is set almost like from, from what I understand, that's at least how it was for us at like a beginner level was like the next like three, four months of your life for training is like, you know what it's going to be. And that's yeah. it. Right. Um, when it comes down to bodybuilding, it's very day by day. Um, starting off in prep, you know, it's, it's more so week by week where you structure your diet plan this is where we're going to stick to this is the level of intensity we're going to stick to this is the cardio we're going to stick to run that for you know seven days and let's see how your body responds and it's all based off of stimulus and reaction and so it's very very touchy so for example like when i had Mitri through this last prep he was changing within the last three weeks i mean it was hourly Man, I knew exactly how much how much food I needed to give him on peak week based off of the three weeks prior. So I would give him a big amount of carbohydrates for a little bit of a refeed, and the dude would just blow up. But he had a little bit of water retention. So then we had to I had to take that data, go into peak week, and say, okay, I can feed him, but how much can I really feed him until he starts to hold that water? Um, and then it, it, we ran into issues of you know trying to make weight because the when he went to go get measured for his height, he's been six foot his whole life. And for some reason they measured him at five eleven three quarters. So he had to drop another 12 pounds in one day. So it's just like, it, it's, it's very structured and meticulous, but like there's, there's things that can happen to where the body just responds to certain stimuli. And then you got to think on your feet and that's, it's all very just seconds, seconds that make the difference. A quarter of an inch made that big of a difference Bro. with his weight class. Yeah. So, it it was the most nightmarish day of my like bodybuilding experience. Like not just coaching, but like it, it, any any person I've been a part of, part of 
whether it be a friend stepping on stage, my client or me stepping on stage, it was the most nightmarish experience. So we had them registered for class C. And so that's going to be, um, it was six, under six foot. And so he had to be 212, right? And so he, he got up there and, no, sorry, he, he was registered for class D. And so that was six foot and over. Um, they measured him as class C because he was 5'11 and three quarters. So that quarter of an inch took him down to the lower weight class. And so I told him, I was like, dude, like, I was like, okay, go hang from a pull-up bar for like an hour and see if you can decompress your spine and like make it to six foot. Um, but you know, he was like, no, like I can do it. I can make it happen. I can make weight. And I was like, okay. So I gave him a protocol to where, you know, he was going, he was doing an hour or not, no, not hour. He's doing 20 minutes cardio, um, at a very high intensity. And then he was going and sitting in the sauna for 10 minutes and then he would have 10 minutes of rest. And he was going through that. He did it about, he did about six times before he finally made weight. Then he went back. Measured him again, same thing, 5'11 and three quarters, and he made weight by, um, he had to be 212, he was 211.8. And they ended up putting him in class D anyway. (laughs) So, what? Yes. So, this man like went through all this struggle and um, went on, competed in class D to where he was significantly now undersized. Um, completely depleted. So like when he was up on stage, he was having trouble holding those poses. Um, if he would have competed in class C, he would be a pro today. No doubt in my mind. With the amount of size, um, muscle maturity that he has at such a young age, like he would have been top two in class. But what, ha- like, why would they end up saying, Hey, you're not going to compete in this class. Need you to drop weight now. Hey, never mind. Sorry. You're actually, you're perfectly fine. Thanks. Right. So, that's that was my question. I was like, what the hell are they talking about? So his conversation with them was, and he was in uh, Orlando, and so I'm doing all this, you know, virtually over the phone. And he was like, yeah, they just said that since I registered for Class D, that's the class that I have to compete in, even though I measured in Class C. And I was like, no, that's bullshit. So I'm trying to get on the phone with somebody. Um, so like, I called. I have a connection with uh, Ed Pariso, and he's the Texas chairman for NBC in Texas. But I mean, he was like, "Dude, that's not my show." He's like, I can "Give you some contacts." He's like, "But it's it's show day. Like, they're not going to be able to talk to you." So, ended up, you know, we we were just shooting in the dark. But you know, we did what we could, and now we know we got to get ready for Class C, not Class D. And so it's going to be from now on. Now he's just going to be permanently in Class C. I, I'm hoping so. And that's the, that's the kind of shitty part with MPC is, um, me, like I've been measured at, I've been measured at five, three, I've been measured at five, 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 four and a half. And like, I'm five, four and a half dog. Like that's where <laughs> that's every single time I measure. So, so then what, like what, what's the reason or what's the cause for the variation? Cause I mean, I would imagine if you're five, three, you're five, four and a half, every single whether you're in Texas or in Orlando, you're still five fucking four and a half, right? So yeah. what, like, <laughs> why? How, I, like, what do they use? Different measuring systems, like, they, like yep. the actual tools. Yep, they use different measuring systems. Some of them are like the laser. Some of them are the actual, just like put them on your head. Um, but 
I have no idea how something so simple can be so consistently fucked up. I, it baffles me, man. Because it's happened to him. I've had a couple friends that have done the same thing. Even at the pro level, like you see people like, oh, didn't make weight. It's like, you know the weight that you have to make. They're going to make that weight. It's like if they get measured differently and then they have to try and make weight after that. That's what's happening is they just keep measuring and it's off by give or take half an inch sometimes. So how do the weight classes and heights work, right? Because they sound mm-hmm. moderately similar to powerlifting where you have like eight different weight classes, but also significantly different. Mm-hmm. Can you go into detail on how those guys are, are different? Yeah, so it, it differs by division. So the division that I compete in is men's physique. Men's physique is just height class. So, you know, typically class A is all your short guys, obviously. It's like five, six, and under. So on stage, I weigh about 160. There could be somebody standing next to me at 200 or at a buck 20. You know, it doesn't matter. It's just whatever their height is. Yeah. And so that's where men's physique goes off that sweet spot of having a good amount of mass to you, but just 100% shredded and having a really, really good shape to you to where there's not a lot of posing to it, but you have to look good just standing still. Um, Then you go up a division, that's classic physique, and that's where they really wanted to find a very like middle ground between that aesthetics of men's physique and then just massive bodybuilding to where they said, okay, there's going to be a height cap and a weight cap. So at certain heights, you know, give or take, if you're, for example, Mitri that I had, he's, you know, 5'11 and three quarters. So he would be in the class of under six foot. Um, and so he has to be, you know, 212. Um, he could be anything under 212. He just can't be over. And then same thing, if someone's a little bit taller, they have a weight cap of like, it's like 226 or something like that. And so underneath 6'2", you have to be that weight bodybuilding is the biggest one to where that's not going off a height at all. It's just off a weight. So if I competed in a bodybuilding, you know, I would be probably like featherweight. And so that's up to including like 170, I believe. So I can get up to 170, but I can't go over. And so with bodybuilding, that's the most like mass monster type division. So you're looking at people with ranging and heights all over the place, but they're all the same weight. Do you ever have a goal or plan to get to the point where you're doing bodybuilding stuff? Or do you want to stay in the physique world? Um, that was like an original goal of mine because I started off in classic physique actually and I wanted to move up to bodybuilding. But just kind of seeing where my genetics were, open is just not on the cards for me. And so I think I could push it and go into classic and I think it would be fairly competitive in classic. But open is just a whole other ball game, man. There's way too much that goes into it that I want to be a part of. <laughs> so. Like, like, do you mind going into detail exactly what is involved? Like, how do how does somebody get to Wayne, you know, two sixty and still looking fucking shredded? Now, obviously, there's there's some there's some PED use, right? That's, right. that's pretty ex- well accepted in the community, which I think is really oddly interesting because it's mm-hmm. federally illegal, but it's still like we know everybody kind of knows bodybuilders are kind of in that space. Is that where you're trying to stay away from? Well, it's the amount, right? Um, because th- there's a fine line between like, yes, using it to enhance your physique. And there's, there's the other part of that line to where it's just, okay, now you're just being a dumbass and you're just flooding yourself full of chemical warfare. You know what I mean? And I, I want no part of that. So um, for me to get that big, it, I would have to push stuff way over the line that I'm comfortable with. And um, 
and that's just because of more so my genetics, because there, there are people that are just absolutely insanely huge, insanely strong that, you know, use very little, which is great. You know, they can, they can push their genetic potential to there, but you know, I was at the point where I weighed about, I capped out at like 190, 192 in my off season and being five, four, like I was fairly thick, but yeah. I was, I was waking up at like six, seven AM to start eating. And I wasn't done eating until, you know, midnight, 2 AM. It was seven, eight meals a day. And it was just nonstop 5,000 plus calories every single day, nonstop. Um, it was, it was pretty intense, you know? And so stressful. Yeah. <laughs> so like adding that on top of it, it's just like knowing where I pushed it and then knowing where I'd have to push it in order to get there. It's like, dude, I just, I'm going to let y'all play the big man's game. I'm going to play my game. That's it. I mean, at least you knew where your, your boundary was and willing to accept that, you know, like exactly. that's, a, that's a, that's a, that's a pretty big thing for, I think any, any lifter or any athlete, it's like, okay, this is where I am willing to, to go to. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of competitors are like the best, you know, gotta, gotta do the most, gotta do the best, gotta push it. And yep. it can lead to chemical warfare in your body, you know? Yes. And that's the, that's the most interesting thing in the sport right now, in my opinion is because I, I was there at one point where I was like, dude, like I'm going to be Mr. Olympia and I'm going to do whatever it takes. And like, you know, I had that just kind of like mindset, like I've got this, it's all about hard work, right? It's not, you know, it, it's, there's a huge portion of bodybuilding that's genetics and straight up genetics. Um, the rest of it below that is basically who can follow directions the best and who can execute. And so we're having a lot of people at a very young age come in and think it's all about just they can jump in and become a bodybuilder like that, you know, super quick. So I have these kids walking up, especially when I was at the gym before I was at now. So I worked at a very like bodybuilder powerlifter style gym in Fort Worth. It was called absolute recon. And dude, I can't tell you how many 17, 18, 19 year olds came up to me. It's like, dude, like I'm ready to compete. Where do I get gear? I'm like, bro, like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, I just saw your mom drop you off at the gym right now. Like, get the fuck out of here with that. And they're like, no, no. Like, I train really hard. I'm eating a lot. I just can't put on weight. So I need that extra oomph. And I was like, no, no, no. Just stop. And, like, I'll talk to them. And, I, you know, I'm like, if you want to get big, you need to eat more. And you need to train harder. And they're like, no, I train really hard. And I eat a lot. I was like, okay. You know, when's the last time you ate? Like, what did you, what have you eaten today? It's like, well, I just had breakfast. I'm like, dog, it is 1 p.m. Like, you're not eating enough then. Like, no. You're just not even there. You're not even locked in. So I was like, you have a lot of room to grow there. And I'm like, I've seen you train. You train like a little bitch. Like, you're not training hard at all. So it's like there's a big misunderstanding of what, um, what it takes to, like, really be at that high level. And, you know, it's it's coming from a – big portion of our younger people in the community which is unfortunate but it's it's pretty wild right now i think that's for like a lot of communities nowadays just like in in careers in in fitness and health and it's just like they they see an immediate i mean I, i'm victim to it too you know i sometimes i see guys and i'm like man i want to look like that like tomorrow right. like what do i gotta do like i just gotta <laughs> sit in the sauna for a couple hours it's like fuck it i'll do it but it's like understanding that obviously there's it's a long-term plan and it takes a lot of work to get there but it's hard to 
really see that. And then you need somebody like you that can be like, well, ho, ho, let's, let's slow down a little right. bit. And then like, this is actually how it works. Like let's work through it, but it's going to take time. And then they're like, eh, sounds good. I don't really want it that bad. Like, okay, well then you weren't going to ever get to that point. Like you were never built to get there. Um, it's, it's kind of cool and also really sad at the same time. And, I, and it's kind of, I think on the bodybuilding side, you'd see a lot of that, like in an insane amount, because we all men and women, we see these pictures, especially on Instagram of these like mm-hmm. super good looking individuals. And we're like, that's, that's it. Like, what do mm-hmm. I got to do to get there? And yeah. it, we always tend to say, Oh, drugs. Right. Yep. A hundred percent. And, um, it's, to me, like it's unfortunate because when I was young, growing up in the industry, it was like, are steroids really a thing? Like they're illegal. Like how do these people even get them? Like it's, you know, it was very taboo. And now there's so much information. There's so much social media to where these guys that are just, especially influencers, you know, TikTok has blown up in the last five years. And all these influencers are talking about is gear, you know, and I, I've coached a few of them and you know, it's, you know, that's their craft and that's their business essentially is talking about that kind of thing. But it just kind of sucks to where, you know, I know because I, I have a little brother, he's 20, 21 now, and he watches all those guys and he's like, you know, I want to start a cycle. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. And you're six, six, two and you weigh a buck 40. Like you're not going to do anything. You're a baseball player. Stop it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's just so easy to see nowadays and you, you're aware of it now that a lot of kids are just like they're putting two and two together and saying like okay step one is start working out step two is start taking shit you know whereas before it it was there there was no one talking about it and it was very like people were hiding the fact they were talking about it so it was step one to start working out step two is start eating better step three is start training harder step four is start eating more and then like eventually down the road you would get to that point where you want to step over or not. But now it's so early in everyone's process that it, and it's, it's become easily acceptable because it's all across the board. Everyone's doing it. Do you think that the, the availability of that information is good for the sport or bad for the sport? A little bit of both, you know, it's a double edged sword because I think you're getting a lot more. I mean, especially with what happened, you know, starting in 2020 when we had so many, deaths in the bodybuilding industry you know there were big names just falling off and it was it was awful to see it felt like every single week like someone else was just like you know there was a black and white photo on my reel you know saying date to date and this person passed away um that was a big kind of gut check for everybody and so the the reality of what is going on within the industry definitely got put in the spotlight which is a good thing. Um, but at the same time, it's everyone's favorite influencer now is talking about what they're taking. And so I think it's good that more information is coming out on the side effects, more information is coming out on, you know, the amounts of these people were taking and, you know, definitely what a bad area to be in is what a good area to be in is. But the fact that it is so readily available is leading a lot of people to jump on way too early in my opinion. How do people come across finding the drug, right? It's, I mean, it's always been an interest to me. Like, there's this weird black market that's uh, that's widely accepted. Uh, I don't know if that's something that you can like, even just like lightly allude to. Um, but it, 
how, how does it, how do you get started? I mean, to me, it's like one of two ways, right? And, and I've seen, I've seen a bunch of different ways, but the main two are going to be going up to that guy that looks just like a boulder in the gym and ask him, Hey bro, <laughs> what you got for me? <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had a couple of guys like that in college station and you probably know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about, but, uh, um, yeah. that was one strategy. The other way, which is, you know, a lot cleaner, in my opinion, is just finding a, a good coach. Um, and then just, you know, talking to them about what you're trying to do. And if they're a good coach that cares about your health at all, you know, they're going to lead you in the right direction. Um, all in all, like, it's always better to go through a doctor 100%. Um, and then let them tell you you're being an idiot. Um, but, you know, there are just like TRT clinics that will just give shit to anybody, but at least they'll monitor what's going on. So... All of the extras outside of just testosterone, are those also at TRT clinics that you can get? Um, like some are, but majority are not. That's where, you know, you'll have to go searching pretty much. Um, but there are certain compounds that you can get that are, that are labeled as certain types of, you know, hormone replacement therapy. There seems to be, there seems to be an insane, like you hear of all the names, right? And it's just, it seems like an overwhelming amount of names. And it's also like, how does somebody navigate? Oh, I want to start taking growth with test and, um, DECA. Mm -hmm. What is that? What does that even mean to somebody? (laughs) You know, like from an outside perspective, I just, I'm interested to know like what, what is a good stack? What is a bad stack? Why, mm-hmm. what makes a good or bad stack? You know, right. um, does, do you need, if I'm going to start competing as a, as a novice, do I even need a stack? Like if I wanted to step on a stage in six months, could I get to the point? I know that's genetically based as well, but could I get to the point where I'm at least moderately competitive that I can feel good about myself and still look better in six months? Right. Are those realities? Yeah, it, it kind of sounds like people just put names on a dartboard and just like start throwing them. It's like, yep, those are my three. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Uh, which I think can happen some of the times. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, breaking it down, like to me, um, in my opinion, everybody's first show should be natural, 100%. And um, just because you have no idea, even if you're going to like the sport. I've had a lot of people that have come in and asked for my coaching and I turn them away because they're like, yeah, like I just started lifting within the last year and I want to hop on here. I'm like, cool, I'm not going to do that for you. So we're going to stay natural or you can find another coach. And then they, you know, block me or ghost me and they move on to the next person. So um, it's just something that I believe in. It's like, you don't even know what this sport really is. You know, you haven't gotten down to that level of conditioning. You haven't really competed with yourself yet. So, I refuse to put somebody, you know, or, or work with somebody that's taking that stuff um, unless they've actually done it before and they're, you know, really serious about it. And so uh, whenever we get into it, um, the amateur level, if you're having to take enormous amounts to be competitive, it's, it's, not, it's not the thing for you. Because, you know, for example, like for, for me, and I'm, I put myself like, competitive at the national level dude amateur amateur bodybuilding shows got boring like it wasn't even fun for me anymore 
because it was just no one was showing up in my class. Um, they, they were there, there were competitors there, but like none of them were lean. If they were lean, they weren't big. And so it was just like I kind of walk on stage and then wait for the overall. And like then I had a little bit of competition. Um, national level was different to where, okay, there's people, you know, at my level of competition. So if you're having to take stuff to get to that amateur level, or if you're competing at the amateur level for the first time and you felt like you need to get on stuff, you're, you're selling yourself short, number one, because you've just taken your natural genetic potential and you have stunted it, you know, wherever you were, that's where you made your cutoff. That's where your genetic potential is. And now you're relying on, you know, rogenous hormones to get you the rest of the way. So people need to start finding where their genetic potential is and really maxing it out before jumping on or thinking about jumping on. Number two, they need to go through at least one or two shows to see if they enjoy it. Um, people get eight months deep, or not eight months, eight, you know, eight weeks deep into a prep and they realize that they don't like being hungry all the time, which is wild to think about because that's like the whole idea of the sport. So <laughs> you're like, this is really hard. It's like, yeah, no shit, dude. Like, that's what it is, you know? Yeah. So, you know, understand the sport and what it really is. Um, it's not just about looking good at the beach. Like guys who look good at the beach are 10% body fat, which is great. We're shooting for like sub five, which is a very dark place to get. Like it's tough. It's a scary so, place, man. It's a scary place. <laughs> and so, um, you know, just understanding what the sport is before they take that leap. And then in order to find like the right, what you said, the right stack. There, there's a lot of different things that go into it. Um, that's where you have to I- identify where you're at um, and you have to identify what's going to work well with your body. So you kind of have to take baby steps in to where it's like in your off season, you know, you start with the very base level of tests. Then you can slowly start adding things in after that. But, you know, in, in my method of things is be minimalist. Use as little as possible. Don't go into, you know, test gh deca eq you know and a draw on your first cycle like there's no reason for it like you're just throwing all the you know all the pills in your mouth and hoping the right ones land like that's not how you do it like it, it needs to be calculated you know but it's it's definitely a very complicated world whenever you get into it and you know it takes someone with a very high level of experience and high level of knowledge to be able to take who you are and assess who you are, where you're at and say, okay, these are the things you need to be taking at these dose at these dosages. So. It's like, you're almost a chemist, you know, it's hundred percent. You, you, you're playing with some, some dangerous hormones and, and in mm-hmm. too much in, in excess, all of these things can do some real long-term damage, obviously causing heart attacks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it just, it seems like you constantly have to be well-read in order mm-hmm. to do to be a good coach, and it's kind of a a scary place to be as a coach. To I mean, I, I control somebody's weights per day, right, and their overall load, and then their 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 injuries and whatever we're doing prehab and rehab long term. You're dealing with somebody's changes in hormones on a day to day basis. That just seems so finicky and per person is also very difficult. You need to have a, a client who is, I assume you need to have a client who is really like communicative or, or you as a coach being the person who's very communicative. How often do you usually talk to your, to your clients? Um, man, majority it's at least every other day, at least. Um, 
and that's been that's been my experience as well. It's I've always taken my craft very seriously, and so I'm always overly competitive. I'm like, hey, how are you doing today? How are you doing today? You know, and half the time they're like, dude, like I'm fine, we're good. You know, <laughs> but um, it, it's it's the same idea to where like I, I have to know what's going on in order to bring the best results out of you. And so I've had experiences to where I've had clients, you know, take things behind my back because I won't tell them to take the stuff that they want to take. And they start checking in and they start changing and their skin color starts to change and they get more acne. And like, there, there's certain things that are happening to them. Like this, this, this shouldn't be happening. I'm like, okay, what's really going on here? Like, well, you know, I really wanted to do this. So, you know, I went into this. I'm like, cool. So, that's it. I'm out. Um, you know, good luck with your endeavors. And like, that's it. So it, it takes you'll fire time. the client a hundred percent multiple. I've, I've fired multiple clients. I've given Damn. them funds for the entire month. Like, cool. Here's your money back. I don't want anything to do with this. Like, if you're not going to listen, then I'm not going to do this. Cause I'm not going to play around with your health. You know, you can, it's your health. But whenever you hire me on to take care of you, I'm going to take care of you. And if you're the person that's getting in the way of that, then that's it. Good on you, man. That's that's fucking huge. That's big. Mm-hmm. And it's it's happened more times than I like to admit, just because I, I would think that people would have that as a top priority. But whenever priorities don't align, um, you're never going to get the job done, right? If I'm, it's the same for you. Like if you're trying to create a world class powerlifter, if you're trying to get somebody as strong as they can be, but they want to go out and party every night and drink and do all these things, it's like now you're getting in the way of Ben's success. Right. And so, you know, at some point you have to cut ties. So when it comes down to something that serious, I'm not willing to roll those dice. So yeah, that's happened a lot. So that's not a fun time, but it is what it is. I really like that perspective. They, they, they're, they're not just getting in the way of, of their success, but they're getting in the way of, of the coach's success as well. That's not something I have ever really, thought about it. I always say, oh, it's for the client, it's for the client, it's for the client, but I'm in this too, you know? And yeah. I think as coaches, we have to remember that. I mean, just a, across the board, I mean, all coaches need to remember that. That's a, that's a really cool note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's something huge in the bodybuilding world. And like you see, you see two different types of coaches. Um, one is the coach that is kind of just like the, the money guy who's in it for the money and they want to just turn clients over and no matter what they look like, they'll put them on stage. Then you have coaches that want to put out a good product. Right. And so those are the type of coaches to where they don't put people on stage unless they're ready. And so I've had people where they've gotten close to that, you know, date that we set. And it's like, dude, like you're just not ready. And so we have to push it back or we have to restart because mentally they can't handle being that depleted. Like I will not put somebody on stage. That's not ready to be on stage. It's not going to be competitive because that's essentially my product. That's my name I'm putting out on stage and I want to make sure that they have success and they have the experience they want. But at the end of the day, you know, if I'm putting out clients that don't look good, that's going to look bad on me. Um, and not to say that, you know, they weren't big enough. It's more so the level of conditioning because I can't control someone's body structure. I can't control anatomically the way that they are shaped, but I can control how lean they are and I can control how full and how tight they came out on stage. And so that's the the certain thing that I'm talking about to where people will put coaches will put people on stage that are 12% body fat. And that 
sticks out like a store a sore thumb and then they go out and they blast on social media oh this is my coach you know we did great da, 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 da. like well that wasn't a very good presentation of the coach at that point it's like we're really happy for the athlete but then everyone has their eyes on that coach saying what do the rest of your athletes look like um and so that's where you you see the difference between someone who actually takes this very seriously and is going to bring the athlete where they need to be and if the athlete is getting in the way of that they're going to reassess take them out of that show and then lead them into a better show. Have you pulled people out of, out of shows before? hundred percent. Mm. And it, like, are you waiting until like the last week that you're just like, okay, like maybe like, we're not, we're not there. Or is it the last couple weeks? Like how do you time and how do you decide you're not ready? Most of the time I catch it pretty early because the people that aren't going to make it the stage start showing the, those red flags, if you will, very early. So it, it's the people that are like, okay, we're, we're three weeks in, we're a month in. And, you know, I'm going over, I, I send them my, my text saying, you know, I have a basically like a parent sheet and they have to answer all these questions. And, um, you know, how well did you follow the program scale of one to 10, one being, you know, you didn't follow at all. 10 being every single meal, every timing was spot on. They seem in eight. Okay, what happened? Why wasn't it a 10? It's like, well, you know, I went out with my family and I ended up having, you know, a steak and fries rather than my ground beef and rice meal. It's like, okay, why? Like, well, I just want to enjoy my time, you know, yada, yada, yada. It's like, okay, you know, we have a conversation about it. Don't let it happen again. A week down the road, same thing. A week down the road, the same thing. And it's like, now, I can see the progression, their weight that they were supposed to be at. We're behind, you know, three or four pounds. You know, they're they're coming in softer every check-in. The lines aren't coming through. At that point, I'm like, okay, it's not even about you, the way you physically look. You are not mentally ready for this. And so we need to take a step back. We don't need to commit to the show that's now happening in eight weeks. We need to re-lock you in and then pick a different show. So that's an early catch. And those happen way more often than the other ones. Um, the other ones that happen are, are from one or two ways. One, injury or something crazy happens. Um, I have one client, and he's actually about ready to compete. He was supposed to compete last year, um, and he was a new hire. Actually, you know him, Zane. Oh, nice. Big, yeah, yeah. Zane, yeah. So last yeah. year, he was supposed to compete, and um, I had him – damn near ready and he was looking the best that he's ever looked and that weekend you know he just got hired on as a firefighter at a new station and they were like you know being a rookie you have to work this weekend and that was the weekend of his show and he had to work the next weekend that was the weekend of the next show and we were like dude like damn. i don't want to have you stage ready for two months you know it's just not healthy for you you're not gonna get anything out of it I was like, this is where you're at right now. I think we could do some damage at nationals, but we need to work on certain areas. So we decided to come out of that show, go through the off season. Now he's getting ready for this one to where he has a little bit more freedom. He's second year, you know, he can put in those days off. And so now we can guarantee that. So that was just kind of like a freak thing that happens. Nothing that happens like injury. It's like, okay, I don't want you to push through that. So let's take you out. The second is very unfortunate. And that's where we get down the road. You know, we're, a month out and they just have that dog day that everybody has and they break mentally and they go into their kitchen cabinet or, you know, they go to their favorite Wendy's right down the road and they just pig the fuck out. And it's, it's unfortunate to see because 
number one, it's like you were so close. Like you were right there. Um, but the underlying issue with that is there's definitely a mental side going on that we need to address. So some people, it's like one cheat and they can get over it and it's okay. It doesn't mess up their look. And mentally they check out just fine. But like, you really have to sit down with them and have a conversation with them and become their therapist. Like, why did you do that? And if their reasoning is that their cravings are just so strong that they needed to have it, like there's something else going on with you, man. Like it's not just, it's not just competing and getting tired and feeling like you need more food. Like there's something inside of you that's actually creating an unhealthy relationship with the food. That's putting it as a priority up here along with like survival, which is not where you want to be because if we go through with this show and I continue pushing you and then all of a sudden when you're done with the show, you're going to have all this freedom in the world. I have no idea what type of bomb is going to go off and you're going to, you know, pick out and eat all this food and, or you're going to go the opposite way and you're going to want to keep that level of conditioning and you're not going to eat anything. So there's definitely that mental side of it that everyone has to be aware of as well. That is a that is a fear that I've always had with the sport from the outside, and I like I've always been a little bit worried that it that it promotes that kind of mentality, like that that level of body dysmorphia and the unhealthy relationships with with food and with the gym, and and it's supposed to be a, a beautiful place where you're supposed to better yourself and make these gains and not just for your mind, but for your body. And you get to the point where you're trying to reach that 5% body fat. Mm-hmm. That's like, it can, some, some people are built for it. I think like some people are just that level of a competitor and they can, they can revert, they can compartmentalize. This is this meat prep time. And, and, and this is what it's going to take of me. But once I get out of this, I'm back to normal. Like I can have a beer, I can have two beers and it's fine. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I worry that, that not every, when the, that there are people that are trying to push to get to that point that aren't really suited for that. Mm-hmm. And how do you, make sure and how, how does that conversation go when you have that client you're talking to them, like yo man like what does this relationship with food look like and, and how do you navigate it so I, I had learned that one early on um, I would say I think they were like my second or third person I put on stage which is really unfortunate because they were like a very very close friend of mine and I I was aware of it but like in my own experience with competing, I wasn't aware of it. I knew it happened, but I was like, okay, like I can go through, I can lock in and not eat a single gram of food outside of, you know, the diet that's given to me. I didn't drink alcohol for like three years straight. I had like zero mess ups. I don't cheat. I don't take in extra food. And when I'm done with my show, I can go out and I can eat. I'll get fat. You know, I'll go through my post-show blues process, but like, I understand like, okay, you got to get lean then you got to grow. You got to get lean. You got to grow. I understand that process. And so to me, like I was aware of it, but it wasn't real until I had, you know, my first client that went through it, they went through their prep. They did wonderful. Um, they placed well. And so I'm trying to reverse them and I'm talking about food and they're checking in and they're just, they're just staying lean and they're staying lean. And, you know, they're telling me their weight is going up and like, I'm not seeing it through the picture. So I'm like, okay, send me a picture of your scale. And they're like, well, you know, my skill is broken. I'll, I'll have to get it, you know, next week. And, da, 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 da. and I'm like, 
then go to the gym and take a picture of the scale, like find a scale, like I need to see your weight right now. And they're like, okay, you know, I'm actually, you know, still right around their stage weight. And I was like, okay, well, one, why are you lying to me? Why are you saying, you know, you're five, six, seven pounds up from Sage when you're the same weight? Like, well, I just really like the way that I look right now. It's like, okay, but, you know, you're not healthy. Like, you're still stage ready. Your, your body is not in a good spot. Like, you need to eat. They're like, okay. So I, I gave them, I was like, okay, go eat a burger and fries right now. When you wake up for breakfast, go eat some pancakes. Like, enjoy yourself. Like, you did great. You and you deserve that. Go and eat some food. Um check in with me on this thing. Cool. Didn't check in. Didn't check in. So I'm trying to get in contact with the person now and they're just like ghosting me. So I completely lost control of that person, you know, and it was way too late. So yeah. now I have certain protocols, you know, when people are coming out of a show to where number one, like they're sending me pictures of the scale, not a number and a text. Like I need to see that number. Number two, like when I tell them to go eat cheat meals and stuff like that, Again, I have them send me pictures. Send me, and I make it fun. It's like, dude, like, send me a picture of you eating it. Like, I want to see the big smile on your face, like all that. But in reality, like, it's an actual fear of mine now to where I'm like, okay, you got to get out there. You got to get some food in you because, you know, we got to get you back up to a healthy state. And um, I've had a few people that I'm able to kind of identify that with earlier on to where they're putting a lot more value in the way that they look, you know? And so, I do a couple things with people that I kind of have an idea of who's struggling with it. And so I tell them to send me like different words of affirmation for themselves. And, you know, I make them tell me a few things that they're grateful for. And, you know, if all of these things are coming off of like the way that they look and, you know, the vein that they're having popping out of their arms or legs, I'm like, okay. So then I start having conversations with them. Okay. But outside of you physically, like, what are you grateful for? And we have to start transitioning into, putting value in things outside of their physical shape because so many times people will identify themselves as the way that they look, which is unfortunate because like outside of being a bodybuilder, like people are so much more, you know, their, their brothers, their sisters, their husbands, their fathers, their mothers, wives, like whatever you are, like that's what you have to have value in what's actually important. And in bodybuilding very, very quickly, you can get lost in just how you look, which is crazy. The level of care that you go through, it, like I'm sitting here getting chills, man. Like <laughs> it's it's what I think we all needed as 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 young athletes, you know. And mm-hmm. you, you are doing the the work that 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 young new athlete's gonna gonna absolutely need. Like, mm-hmm. and not even just the young athlete, but any athlete that's coming to you. To to approach it that way, I mean, hearing about that 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 athlete that you know you kind of lost control of it. It's kind of it's it's a little sad, and and but I think it made you into a better person. Like I can't imagine being an athlete and, and or being the coach and seeing that and kind of like, oh shit, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. And you you learn from it, and now you you've created some steps in order to prevent that from happening again. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you been able to talk to that athlete ever since? Yeah. And I mean, they're doing fine. Like they actually just competed a little bit ago. Um, you know, they, we kind of went different directions. Um, we were still friends for a really long time after that. And they just had no, 
no interest in competing obviously because you know they they became aware of what was going on you know they got the help that they needed um and then you know we kind of lost touch a little bit um but they ended up going off they found a different coach and they competed so i hope everything is going well now because that was very recent um you know that's something i'll have to it's been on my mind for a while just like man like i hope everything's okay um but i don't want to overstep anything so um we're doing fine back on stage crushing it so happy good man yeah i want to i want to know so as as a powerlifting coach i write somebody's somebody's workouts for the day but you're Mm -hmm. writing all of it you're writing (laughs) food you're writing (laughs) dietary you're giving like you're giving meal prep you're giving your your workouts i want to know about like what your what food regimens you kind of write per like stage i guess and then also how those workouts relate to that food prep yeah so it's a it's very like i said with body it's very touchy right so number one it's based off of what foods do they like eating and balancing that with the foods they actually need to eat in order to you know create that success because i've had you know early on i was very stubborn and I was like, no, like, these are the foods we're going to eat. I don't care if you don't like them, like throw up in your mouth if you need to swallow it back down and like get after it. Like, you know, I was trying to be hardcore and like no one made it to stage. And I'm like, what's going on? you know, um, but very quickly matured. And I'm like, okay, not every, not everybody works like you. Like they'd actually need to enjoy like what they're eating. So it's just like playing that balancing act between um, making sure that they're happy making sure that they can actually get the food down because that's what's most important and then pairing it with what they actually need to be doing. So when it comes to training, I always like to have people for an off season first before, you know, we jump into prep. So it's always very baseline. Um, I have them send me videos of like their workouts that I have them do. And it's pretty much everyone starts off with like push, pull legs, um, push, pull legs, arms, is like the very basic thing to do for my first time. Then I assess like where their weak spots are, where they're growing, where they're not growing, where their form needs checking. And then I put in, you know, basically a two days on one day off or three days on one day off, depending on their recovery. And I go into very, very specific type of weight training regimens where now we have their, you know, weak points. We're hitting a little bit more often throughout the week. Um, you know, I calculate how many sets we're doing and we need to make sure those weak points are bringing them up. And then if they have something that's just growing like insane, like with Mitri, my most recent one, um, you know, his legs are just insane. And if he thought about growing his legs, they would grow an inch. Like it just didn't, didn't need those to grow because with classic, it's all about proportions and making sure we're maintaining, you know, balance through the whole physique. So he just like, he honestly just started begging me. He was like, dude, can I hit legs again? (laughs) Cause like I told him like don't hit legs till I tell you and it was a month later and he's like can I please hit legs and I was like cool this is your one leg workout for the month so enjoy it you know um, so that's a kind of odd odd place in bodybuilding as well to like with training you have to you have to balance that out and kind of sacrifice what a lot of people enjoy training because if it's a strong point I mean you're gonna want to hit that you know yeah. um, he loves doing leg press he loves doing squats and I'm like dude like sorry you can't. You know, which is a terrible thing to say to an athlete. You can't do what you love to do, but if you want to succeed, that's what it takes. Um, yeah. Now, with the food side of it, 
that's where, you know, I have them send me a list of what foods are you alerted to? Obviously, we're not going to throw anything of that. Do you have any sort of food allergies or food sensitivities? Um, you know, address all that stuff. And then we go through, okay, you know, what are just some no-nos to where, like, even if I put them in your program, like, you're just going to, you know, dry you just by looking at it. So I have a couple people, they're like, I just can't stand, I can't stomach fish, which is fine. Um a lot of people think like fish is a go-to, you have to have it, it makes your skin thinner and like all those theories and like all these like weird things that are thrown out there. It's, like, it's not, it's just a leaner protein. Like you're going to get less fat out of tilapia than you are chicken or beef. So it's just the calorie deficit at that point. Yeah. So, you know, identify all those things and I pair, um, making sure that our macro breakdown matches what they need to order in order to still perform and then create that calorie deficit after that. And then I go through and I take a look at all those foods, what type of micronutrients they're bringing in and, you know, what do we have to supplement because they're not getting enough of all that stuff. So it's very, very intuitive. It's very tedious. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of work. I kind of want to like, I don't know if you do it on an Excel sheet, but I want to see your Excel sheet and how yeah. you're like <laughs> looking at like each one of these, these individual meals and how you're, you're weighing them out and stuff. You said earlier you're you're like constantly hungry. Like that is the sport. Is that really like you're? Are you constantly hungry? One hundred percent, dude. Yeah, that sucks. So like, <laughs> so obviously, like in off season, you have to push. It's it's total opposites, right? And so I actually enjoy being in prep than I do being in off season because in off season it was just like I always felt like my stomach was full all the way to my throat. You know, I couldn't get down. I couldn't stomach another meal. And, like, it would take me an hour to get through a meal sometimes just because I'm just like, ugh, you know, spoonful, spoonful, spoonful. Like, this is terrible. Um, And then when you get into prep, like, you have a good happy medium to where, like, finally I get to take the the foot off the gas. And I get to, like, actually, like, lower these meal amounts because I was eating probably six to seven ounces of a certain meat anywhere from 300 to 400 grams of rice um, and then like a giant spoonful of peanut butter you know, six to seven times a day. And it was just awful. It's terrible. So when you get to yeah, lower sucks. that, it's like, yay, everyone throws a party. And then two months in, you realize, holy shit, I'm hungry. I want that food back. So um, it's the last like month for me is when it kind of tended to get a little bit rough, but I also have, you know, very fast metabolism. So, my food intake compared to a lot of other athletes food intake is a lot higher. I get to eat a lot of food at the end, but either way with how much output you're doing with how hard you should be training, how much cardio are you doing? You know, I'm eating, um, I was eating a range of about 200, 200, 300 carbs, depending on higher low day still. And dude, I would eat and I was way hungry after I was done eating the meal than I was before. And so it's just like constantly being in a level of, not satisfied and depleted and tired. It's pretty wild, but um, going through it, it teaches a lot of things. It teaches dis- discipline, it teaches mental toughness. Um, you know, those last couple of weeks, you get that brain fog and having to work, do your job, you know, do your life, you know, take care of your relationships, take care of the people around you. Um, it gets really, really tough. But at the end of the day, like once you go through it, you accomplish what you set out to accomplish. It's awesome. It's a great experience. Do you ever follow any of the, or like employ any of these, um, fad diets of any types, um, like the, the carnivore diet or, or any other keto, any, anything like that? 
Hell no. <laughs> cool. Um, you're like, awesome, sweet. Um, I just, number one, like, I haven't done enough research on those yet um, to be able to implement it. And then number two, like with carnivore, with keto, I don't think it would work on getting that person down to that level of conditioning alongside that little level of performance. Cause I mean, at the end of the prep, at the end of everyone's, you know, cut cycle, they're down to very, very lean. There's not a lot of carb to it. Their, their fats are typically at a pretty moderate weight, but then their proteins are really, really high. So if you talk to Mitri, like he wasn't a carnivore diet because he was only eating meat at the end and then like a little bit of vegetables, but like that was it. Um, I haven't gone into it that much to where like long-term would that be effective for a bodybuilder? Um, and then keto, I've had people like want to try and do keto. I'm like, that's great. Um, we've tried it at a very high, high level, high performance. Um, it's just like not sustainable. They kind of shut down their body stops progressing. And so then we have to push way too hard with cardio. We have to push way too hard with the training to where then their recovery starts to suffer. And then I'm just like, I got to do more research. I got to be able to understand this better if we're going to try that. Um, so no, I don't do any sort of that night. That's fair. How how many, (laughs) how much time do you spend doing cardio and uh, towards the end, you're saying it's a lot of cardio. Like how many, how many hours are you in the gym and how much cardio are you doing? So it depends. And for everyone, I think it depends on like where they're at in their journey. For my personal experience, my first show, um, and this is this was me being very, very new in the industry, coaching myself, so please nobody judge me. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was doing two-a-days, six days a week, meaning training sessions. So me Damn. and uh, Nick Gonzalez, we were doing the same show wake up, we'd be at the gym at 6 a.m. We'd go back at like 5 or 6 p.m. And then after each session, I would do about 45 minutes cardio. So I was doing an hour and a half until the last about two weeks. And I upped it to uh, two hours a day of cardio. Our gym sessions were anywhere from like hour to hour and a half. As that progressed, it slowly got less and less. So... Um, my highest cardio stuck around that hour and a half point, And that was for my first three shows. Um, and that was just because I had, I had done zero research. I had no knowledge of like what recovery does for you. So I was training six days a week. I was training, I would say medium. I thought I was training hard, but it was just like a lot of volume and just, you know, flailing around like a maniac all the time. Um, there wasn't a lot of like method of the madness my first couple of years. Um, and then, so my cardio just had to be high to get that level of conditioning. As we progress, as my coach got to know me better and as I got to know training better, um, I actually dialed back my training to no more than about an hour worth of a strength training session. So typically 45 minutes to an hour. But my sets were to pretty much like the proximity to failure there like actual real failure was very close, pretty much every single set. Um, but my total sets for each workout were maybe five, 
on a big day, like maybe six. But that was it. Um, the rest of it were either like back down sets or warm up sets, and that was it. So the overall training volume went way down. My frequency wow. went from six days a week to four, maybe five. I was on like a two one split where I was training two days in a row, taking one day off. And my food was a lot higher. And I was doing my highest cardio sessions for my last three shows were 30 minutes at a time. And that was like five, six days a week, not seven. So wow. plays a huge factor in being able to get that lean. Can I ask you why? What What is the, the rationale? Yeah. So what you're looking at there is, you know, your body being able to do what it needs to do. So whenever you're putting that high of stimulus throughout your body, whenever your body is that fatigued, um, your body is not going to work optimally, right? So the idea there was, you know, you basically have to push your body to the limit to be able to create that level of conditioning. So your progression uh, or your rather regression of calories and then your progression of cardio has to be very aggressive and has to be very consistent. Um, what we're doing now was we're creating a lot of that intensity, a lot of that calorie burning through our training. And so we're going into the gym, we're creating that growth response internally by creating a very, very high stimulus. Um, but that's all we're doing is we're stimulating, we're not annihilating. So if we're stimulating that muscle to break down a little bit and grow, right, um, our body is going to have to go through that process and actually be able to utilize calories to grow more muscle tissue. Um, and then with that, you know, our, our calorie deficit is going to be a lot greater, a lot more consistent. And so my food's able to stay higher because my stimulus is right at the right spot to where my body is turning over nutrients and to try and build more tissue. Um, and then my food and my cardio are just creating that last little gap that's needed. Recovery, baby. Recovery. Yeah. It's a wild, isn't it? I <laughs> and love you train it. harder the whole way, you train heavier the whole way, and you don't feel like shit all the time. It's great. It, I think as as all I think all of us starting off in like high school were just like fucking hours in the gym, more squats, Dude. more benches, like just just do it all. <laughs> gonna go run, gonna go do everything, you know. Like even and the 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 more that we get along, the more experience we get, we we can ourselves save ourselves some headache and then also save other people from like trying that lifestyle, knowing yes. that it's not gonna work. Yes, I can't tell you how many like younger kids I have like saved from going through that phase. Of just like CT Fletcher, like hundred rep sets, and like I'm just gonna like force <laughs> this body to grow. And I'm like, guys, like I know it sounds cool, and I know it looks awesome, and the man is the man. I was like, but just take my advice and like only train five days a week and see what happens. And then you know they immediately see a response. They're like, oh, you know my bench went up this much. I'm like, imagine that. Less less is more in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, I think that's I think that's all sports. You know, like. We need sleep. We need to like give our bodies and minds some rest and some break. And I always, I always thought bodybuilders were, I thought you were spending like four, I was expecting like five hours a day, six hours a day. Um, but it, it's kind of nice to hear that it's not, not so, not so much. I think what sounds the hardest is going to be that food, that, that intake. That seems like the most difficult in my, in my mind. Um, what, 
how do you program? What does your volume look like in a day, right? How are you calculating uh, like total tonnage or are you going off percentages? Are you going off of RPEs? Like how are you writing training? Yeah. So I break it down based off of what, what they've been doing. And then I slowly typically end up regressing their volume. Um, cause just like you said, most of the time people are just banging it out and everyone has that same mentality towards like to be a bodybuilder, you gotta be in it four hours a day, you gotta go and you gotta train two a days. And like, you know, people have all these crazy mindsets on what proper training is. And so I typically have to take that and break it down first. So if they're, I break it down as like total working sets. And so if someone comes in, they tell me, you know, I'm doing, you know, eight different exercises, five sets of 12 each, like all this. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, X amount of total sets, you know, per day. Um, and then X amount of total sets per week. And so then I try to average it out. Like how many times would it be, or how many sets would it be per day? If I want you only training five days and then I just slowly regress it, but I have them doing a different structure. So typically they're doing straight sets or drop sets is the, like the trend right now. Right. Um, I take all drop sets out because I want to save those for, you know, whenever we hit a plateau, I want intensifiers to be utilized properly and not just as like an everyday thing, which a lot of people do. Um, so if they're doing, let's say 30 sets in a workout, I typically drop it down by like 10%, right? So now, they're coming in, they're doing 27. And then two weeks later, I drop it down again. And I drop it down again until I get into that happy medium to where like they understand what real intensity is. They really understand what that proximity to failure looks like. Because I really push them to say, okay, you have one set in the gym. And I want you to imagine that that one set after you're done, the gym owner turns lights out, you have to go. And that should be enough to be a, still a good workout. You should still create a growth response within that one one set. And so when they grasp that mentality, it's like, okay, that's what training hard looks like. That's what it feels like. You know, that, you know, tunnel vision, almost blacking out, vomiting after that first set. Yeah, that's what it feels like sometimes. And so once they understand that, they can do that three or four times. That real, like, Dorian Yates, blood and gut style of training. And they're done. And they realize, you know, oh, shit, that's, that was 45 minutes. And I'm done. And I don't have to stay here, you know, three times at a mountain. I did more for my body than I did in that giant training set. So I want to, I want to try one of your workouts. Come on, man. I feel like we could do, (laughs) (laughs) I'll go to Houston. I mean, Houston's not too far away. Mm -hmm. I'll trade you. I'll trade you a workout session. That sounds like fun. Hell yeah. So you're professionally, um, we're going to come to a close here pretty soon. So mm-hmm. what, what you said, you're, you're a fitness manager over in Houston. Are you still doing that? Yep. So right now I'm over uh, crunch fitness in Cyprus. Um, I helped open the gym in Katy. So it's basically a franchise that started out in California. Um, and they have tons of clubs. They wanted to move to the Texas market right after COVID because they saw a big opportunity with all the 24s in the area that closed down. So, they bought out like three different 24s, gutted them, renovated them, and, you know, opened them back up as crunches. And Damn. so um, right now I'm the top fitness manager in the district. So I'm working towards trying to get that like district level position to where I just oversee multiple clubs at once. Sounds like a pretty, pretty damn good, good setup there. You're moving along from, from, 
fitness consultant at Gold's to Hell yeah. fitness or not even fitness consultant. <laughs> yeah, fitness consultant at Gold's, right? So yeah. now fitness fitness manager at, yeah. for for Crunch. Mm-hmm. That's cool, man. Yeah. Well, where 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 can people find you? Find me on Instagram, um, classic underscore giant killer, and then uh, that's pretty much the only platform I use. Um, yeah, follow me, like my shit, message me if you need anything. I got you. So I can, if I'm a, if I'm a new lifter and I just like, hey man, I'm interested in some training, I can just send you a DM and be like, what what are we looking at for X Y Z? What kind of stuff do you offer? I mean, do you offer just like just nutrition, just training, the both together? What what kind of services do you offer? Yeah, so I do like my most one off is going to be like posing. Um, that's the most like unique that I offer, and that's cool. obviously just for like bodybuilders. But for gen pop, for you know anything else like i offer training specifically if they just want like a training programs um i offer nutritional programs and then i offer one-on-one like monthly coaching which would be the whole shebang you know i'm taking care of your diet taking care of your training supplementation the whole time just remember i take it seriously we're checking in week by week i'm talking to you every day we're gonna become best friends <laughs> you're not gonna leave them alone they're like, exactly <laughs> that's cool man so yeah. posing posing is your would you say your niche 100 percent. yeah that's what that's what got me into bodybuilding because i wasn't sure about stepping up on stage on a mankini but like i really enjoyed the the overall like presentation of everything and how you can turn just something that's so brute like and turning it into like a form of art and uh you know, that's my passion behind it is always going to be posing. Um, I love the training, but the posing where it's at for me and, you know, being able to take somebody's like vision and turn that into a reality that they can actually, you know, translate with their own bodies is really cool. That's awesome, man. I love it. Well, thanks for your time. I'm, I'm going to shut that off real quick. Uh, and I'm going to talk to you after if you don't mind. Yes, sir. All right, man. Appreciate it. No worries.